when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to Thursday's edition of the programme, John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. You can text or WhatsApp the programme as well to 0862-103-103. Later on uh, today on the programme, we will be giving away another set of tickets to Hall & Oates. Hall & Oates are playing live the marquee on Monday, the 8th of July Tickets actually have gone on sale. They're on sale now for a little over an hour ago, nine o'clock this morning on Ticketmaster.ie if you want to buy uh, tickets. But if you're in feeling lucky, you might win a pair of tickets uh, today on the programme with a final pair to be given away uh, tomorrow. That's Hall Notes live at the Marquee on Monday, the 8th of uh, July. Can I thank a huge number of people who have contacted us about a piece that we're going to be doing uh, between 11 and 12 today on the programme when I'll be joined by a gentleman by the name of Mark Kelly, one of the foremost coin and stamp experts in this country. And uh, Mike has kindly agreed to join us on the programme today. And I mentioned it yesterday and just said, by the way, anybody out there have a coin or a stamp or maybe some old notes that you would like to get valued? We have been in on dated. The amount of people that have old coins at home uh, and I don't know have they been keeping them in the hope that they will increase in value and one day you could be sitting on a little treasure in the drawer, something that granny or granddad left behind or something you found when you cleared out granny or granddad's house. So thank you to everybody who's taken time uh, to call us, to email us, to text us, to message us and uh, giving us as much detail as possible. I can tell you now we won't get to all of the coins and details of coins that have been sent into us, uh, but we will get to as many of them as we possibly can today on the uh, programme. And failing that, Mike Kelly is going to be at City Hall at the Over 50s Expo. He's there on both days, Saturday and Sunday. When I speak with him later on on the programme, I'll ask him for the exact times. I mean, I don't know if he's going to be there for the full day or is he there for certain hours of the day and what would you like people to bring with him? Do they want to bring the coins up or what photographs do or whatever? Our stamp collections as well because there's one very interesting lady has contacted us. I think it's, it's it, she doesn't actually have the collection. It is her cousin has the collection and it is a stamp collection that's, I think it was her great-great-grandmother started back in the 1800s. 
So, uh, Mike, I think it's going to be very interested to see that particular stamp collection. So if you don't get your coins valued today with us, then we'll be encouraging you to pop along to uh, City Hall, that Cork Expo by the, the 50, over 50s Expo. It's a free event. And you don't have to be over 50, by the way, uh, to go. It's aimed at people over 50, but lots of younger people uh, turn up as well. And it is free. So you will get the opportunity to go along. And Mike is doing the valuations uh, free across the weekend as well. But as I say, uh, we will have him on the programme between 11 and 12 o'clock today. So thank you to people who have taken uh, time out to contact us on uh, that one. Now, coming up on the programme also this morning, problems with parking at Cork University Hospital that you would have heard me ranting and raving about parking at Cork University Hospital at the back end of last year. I had uh, somebody very dear to me was in hospital from September through to the start of December and, and sadly passed away but I was up there a couple of times a week every week over that kind of a three month uh, period um, and there was days where the weekend weirdly enough was fine if you go if you go visiting loved ones at the weekend you're okay but Monday to Friday obviously the main car park is there for people who are visiting and I was going to visit but it's also there obviously for people who are outpatients and there simply is not enough parking spaces plain and simple there was days when I got into a queue of cars when I would have come off the Wilton Road And you turn right to go into Cork University Hospital and I joined the queue of cars there. Literally, just as I went through the traffic lights, I was in a queue of cars. And before you know it, there was another car behind you. So you couldn't even try to do a U-turn to get out. And then if you did do a U-turn to get out, where were you going? And I'm wondering, do many people risk going over to Wilton Shopping Centre and just abandoning your car over there? Do many do that? And then is that not very unfair on the shop owner's at Wilton Shopping Centre if people are taking up their car parking spaces while they're over there either at an outpatient's appointment or visiting a loved one in the hospital. Something needs to be done about it. And the issue came up at a a city council meeting and an exercise was done to find out firstly how many people work at CUH, how many of them drive to work, how many parking spaces do they have for staff. Now, I'm not in any way saying staff are going into the public car park. They couldn't be because it would be costing them uh, a fortune. But then how many public car park spaces do they have? Have they space on that campus to build more parking spaces? I mean, to me at this stage, it's like a high rise they need to build. Now, how they would be able to do that while it, while it would still be a fully functioning working hospital, I don't know. But they definitely need some kind of a high-rise parking with double, certainly double the amount of public parking spaces they have at the moment. So anyway, if you have a story, have you been frustrated whilst trying to park at CUH? And have you missed an appointment? Have you been late for an appointment? There has to be a knock-on effect then to outpatients clinics if people are coming in late. And I'm assuming allowances are made for people coming in late. But then if people are coming in late, that's delaying appointments. And then people who turn up on time are going to be late because the people ahead who got in ahead of them but were late for their appointment are taking your appointment space. And it just must be a little bit of a nightmare for the staff operating outpatients departments as well. Your thoughts welcomed on that, please. 1850 333 103. 
We're also going to hear about a piece that caught my attention. It was on our news yesterday. It's to do with a right-of-way at Cove Harbour and an area that has been a right-of-way for a number of years. And from what I can gather, signs have gone up saying, you know, do not enter, indicating it's private property and local people are certainly not happy about it. And it's to do with the land, I think, belongs to the Port of Cork and they have decided not to give right-of-way, even though there has been a right-of-way there for a number of years. Now, I don't know, and we'll try and dig into this a little bit more, what are the legalities around a right-of-way? I mean, in law, if there has been a right-of-way, can a landowner business owner suddenly decide for whatever reason we're no longer granting that right of way. There's got to be laws there protecting local people when there has been a right of way. So we'll look at that as well on the programme today. A member from Garda Siakona will join us for Crime File and then in the final hour of the programme we will have Jane Pickett uh, join us from the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, uh, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group and she'll be joining us to answer all of your pet questions. So as always throughout the morning you can get your pet questions into us and we'll put them to Jane in the final hour. Now we've already had a call into the programme. Uh, Anne was on. This is to do with country clean and bins being collected and emptied and paying for your bins and all of that. Anne paid her bill with country clean in February of so last month, there was an increase on the bill over last year, which she duly paid. But then she got an additional bill for an extra 21 euro. And when she contacted them to say, sorry, I paid my bill. Why have I a new bill for 21 euro? She was told, oh, that's for the new bin that you've been allocated. The new bin being this compost bin. And compost bins are great. You put all your food stuff into it. I've been using a compost bin actually for quite some time. But not everyone has a compost bin. But obviously now what Country Clean are doing, they're issuing compost bins to everybody. So you get the bin, you're not asked, do you want the bin? From what Anne was telling us, the bin just gets delivered. And then after that comes along a bill saying, there you go, uh, we've given you your bin. Now, by the way, you have to pay us uh, €21 for setting up the compost. When she rang Country Clean, she said the €21 charge was for setting up the compost bin, which I don't quite understand, setting up the compost bin. Are you paying? Is she buying the compost bin? Is it for the delivery of the compost bin? I don't, I don't really understand. Anne asked, Judy then asked why she hadn't been informed first about this, about the additional bin and in particular that there would be an additional cost instead of just giving customers the bin and then adding on the cost. She was told on the phone that's how Country Clean operates. So her point was that if there was a charge on this bin, she felt she should have got a call or some kind of communication. They might be able to call other customers, but a letter or a text that they, they use text message service as well. A text or a letter to say, we are giving you a compost bin. I think by law, wasn't there new rules and regulations that everybody has to have a compost bin? I'm sure buried somewhere there was some environmental changes came in, environmental legislations. We will, I'll, I'll try and do a, a check on that. I'm sure there were some rules saying that by a certain date, all bin companies had to provide uh, compost bins. But Anne's point was, if you're going to be giving a new bin to a household, tell them in advance that we're giving you this bin and if they're you know, bound by law to do it, fine, tell them that as well. But explain to people you're getting this bin. And by the way, there's going to be a charge of €21 Euro on the bin. She just feels it's a bit mean of them to hand the bin out and then afterwards to 
put the charge uh, in. And and I take it, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, is it changing the terms and conditions of your contract? I mean, she paid her bill in February, which I'm, I'm assuming she's paid for the year, so she signed in for a contract for the year. But if they're now giving you an extra bin and putting an extra charge, is that not changing the terms and conditions of, of your contract? I think better communication. I think there's a kind of a bit of a communication failure here. But now, John Paul, we, we've been on, we're getting on to Country Clean. Um, We've we've contacted Country Clean and um, have we contacted Country Clean, John Paul? Yeah, we have. Okay, we're waiting on a reply. And Anne did tell them that she would be raising the issue here on the program. Even though I don't, I don't know. Sometimes it makes a difference when you tell people I'm gonna got to go on the radio and talk about you. Sometimes it makes a difference, and other other times it doesn't. I don't, I don't know if it will uh, or not. But anyway, so they are aware that we are talking about it, and we are waiting on their uh, response. There's a number of questions really uh, need need to be answered, and I particularly want to know what is the 21 euro charge. Anne claims that she was told it's for setting up the compost bin. So is that a one-off payment? You just pay it once? Or is that €21 now that gets added to Anne's bill next year and for every year thereafter? So anyway, we'll put it out to see have many has it happened to many others and also it's a good word of warning to other people if you are a customer of Country Clean who do I have to say I'm a customer they do a great job they empty my bins I don't, I've never had an issue or a problem with them I have four wheelie bins at this stage I'm falling over in bins because they do the glass collection as well so you know it's a great curbside collection it's fantastic love the compost bin absolutely love the compost bin and I know there's been some people don't like them some people think they're messy and disgusting and all of that I don't because I have to say I clean out my compost bin every time when it comes back so I've never had an issue with it being getting I mean I think if you leave it and never clean it out I imagine it would become pretty scummy and pretty disgusting because I remember back in July when we had the heat wave and it gets collected every two weeks. I couldn't wait for the two weeks to be up for it to be collected because obviously in the heat it was getting to be a bit smelly and that's with me cleaning it out every time the bin comes back. But I think compost bins are great. I think, you know, we have to do all these things for the environment. I'm a big environmentalist. People know my campaign to try to get rid of plastics, how we're drowning in plastics. Anything that I can do that I feel in my little bit, my way helps the environment I do. And that's why I think the compost bins are great. But I just think if you're going to give somebody a compost bin, let them know that there's an additional charge it is a bit mean if you've got people living and people do live on very tight budgets where they know from week to week exactly how much money they have to spend. They put away money to cover all individual bills, a little bit going away, you know, every week. And people are the most fantastic budgeters, people who on low incomes would make great accountants. They budget so well. So it's unfair on households like that who are not expecting an extra bill to come in. So, you know, fine if you have to give them the bin then please tell them of the additional charge has it happened to anybody else and it's good to make people aware we await a reply from Country Clean on compost bins Marie in Middleton says I also have my bins with Country Clean and when I rang them to deliver one of those compost bins it cost me 10 euro for them to deliver the bin and that was in the Middleton area Mm, well Anne was 21 euro see I don't know is, is it a delivery charge is that what it is? She she says that when she ran, they said it was a setting up charge. 
So we need to find out is it just a one-off charge and why is it uh, 10 euro where you are in Middleton and Anne was calling us from the North Cork area and she's uh, 21 euro. Somebody else says don't compost bins draw rats big time. No, the compost bins that we're talking about today they're, they're, it's a wheelie bin. It's a brown wheelie bin so it's in everything is in the, it's a, it couldn't possibly draw rats because everything's, see, you know, everything's in the wheelie bin with the lid on and if you left the lid opened it might draw rats I, th- I think what you may be thinking of are the compost bins that you have in your garden where you make your own compost some people say that they draw rats others say no I think it's the way you maintain the compost bin they're the ones in your garden but what we're talking about no are there wheelie bins so certainly um, I've well I've certainly haven't had any problem with them drawing uh, rats maybe others have 1850 333 103 Ellen says Hi Patricia uh, we were funny enough discussing parking at Cork University Hospital only yesterday and I was having a chat with an employee who told us there are 4,000 employees at Cork University Hospital and only 999 spaces for the 4,000 well there's a problem straight away uh, definitely needs more car parks says Ellen so that's showing that it needs more parking spaces for employees. But what I'm also adding to that is the problem with people visiting and people going to outpatients. They also certainly need more parking spaces there. But that seems... And yeah, and I think the exercise that we're going to... And the kind of the survey they did, they asked the, of the 4,000 employees how many of them drive to work, how many use public transport, do any of them live locally so they could walk, are any of them cycling? to work. We can, we'll be finding out all of that in a couple of minutes. Just to let you know, tomorrow, Friday the 8th of March, is International Women's Day for 2009 or 2019 even. And here at C103, we're very much celebrating International Women's uh, Day. We are going to be highlighting some of the most empowering women on the international music scene throughout the day. So it's going to be a great mix of uh, music. And we're also going to be hitting the streets, uh, finding out a little bit more about the women in your lives. And we'll also keep a look on our social media pages because we'll be sharing uh, extra content. And on this programme, we are doing a special little piece between 11 and 12 tomorrow where we're going to have coffee, cakes and chats. And we have decided to bring in three female politicians. We are going to have an MEP, a TD and a councillor join us in studio. Now, we're not going to talk politics, but instead, over coffee, cakes and chats, we're going to talk about what drew them into politics. What are the greatest challenges facing women? In politics, we know that there is a gender imbalance when you look at the number of males versus females in politics. How difficult is it to be a woman in politics today? Uh, is there an added dimension if it the the female politician is also a mother? And then how do they strive to get that work life balance that everybody uh, talks about? Because the theme for International Women's Day for this year is balance for better. So we're going to have an interesting chat with, say, an MEP, a TD, and a councillor, and we'll sit in studio. And we'll shoot the breeze and we'll have a little bit of a chat. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. And I hope that you'll you'll enjoy it uh, too. So stay listening all day tomorrow and follow us online as we celebrate International Women's Day 2019 with Kildare Village and hashtag Balance for Better on C103. Laura Gelga, RC103. Rogaxirsa <laughs> 
is astor a hair less August Lancer a nor lyric she sims and astorot August e in a posta o but a on skin on atonement on case skin on a renaissance August baguina dena hashori is oga rev e con anvahu con Oscar agnohu don skin on u radam skin on yakta is telefisha na heron Brooklyn, is Misha Abini Vinicon Ma. Asa Three Kirkig. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, anyone who spent time at Cork University Hospital, either as a visitor or attending an outpatient appointment will know that parking in the hospital can be a nightmare. So what is the solution? Well, joining me with details of a study that was carried out on the particular transport mode that people use when going to CUH, uh, especially the staff, is Cork City Councillor um, Henry Kremen. Good morning to you, Henry. Good morning, Patricia. How are you keeping? I'm, I'm keeping very well. You're welcome to the programme. Now, what did you discover about staff parking and how many people drive to and from work each day? I tell you, this day last week, I was at the Regional Health Forum and I was after forwarding a question in relation to that particular issue, uh, transport mode for the, the staff. Uh, basically, what I found out, Patricia, was that there's 83% of the, of the total staff uh, of 4,000 actually drive to work every day. So you have 17% who would actually use public transport or uh, walk to work or, or, or use a bike or whatever, you know? So 83% drive themselves to work. So they yes. need to park and, their cars. Yes, and the, the problem is, Patricia, like we're saturated with traffic here in Wilton over the last few years and it's just going to explode if something isn't done about it. But the problem being is there's nearly 4,000 staff there in the CUH and there's 1,000 parking spaces staff and you have just the, the 500 for the ordinary general public and the reason why I raised this was because I live in the area and I walk around the area and on and, and numerous occasions I've seen cars queuing back back along the top road what, what we call in the CUH trying to get into the car park and you would have, without exaggerating you'd have 20 cars parked up waiting to get in there and you have to wait until somebody comes out before you can actually get into the car park. So, uh, you know, with people waiting to get into hospital or visiting, whatever the case may be, it must be usually frustrating for them, you know? Absolutely. But go back to the... I'm baffled by the staff. Um, Okay, 4,000 staff, of which 3,000 are day staff and 1,000 are at night. So the 1,000 at night are okay because there's 1,000 spaces, even if all of them drive. But the three quarters of the the 3,000 of the staff who go during the day, if you're saying 83%, that would work out at just under 2,500 people drive to work every day to CUH. And you're saying there's only 1,000 parking spaces. So where are the staff going? You see, that, that's the problem. Two things there, Patricia. One is that 
when the night staff finished coming out, the day staff are waiting to come in. So what's happening is we have a backlog of traffic then along the Bishopstone Road, down onto Southfields Road, waiting for the, the, the night staff to come out so that they can come in and take up those spaces, you know? And the other fact is that, again, I went up there, uh, was it Tuesday morning for a walk, and 95% of the public car park was full at 9.15am. <sighs> so there is no way that, that, that there's that many visitors inside in the hospital at that time. So, Well, that's outpatients, I, 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 isn't it? Or is it? Well, the old patients would be on the opposite side, on the Wilton Road side, but I'm talking about the main general cab, okay. the one at the top. So who's using the parking spaces? I'm presuming, I'm, I'm presuming that the staff are moving in there and they, they just have access with their swipe or whatever to get in and out of the car park, you know? Oh, that would explain why there's very little parking spaces then in the public car park. Yeah, you're dead on, you're dead on, and, and that's the reason, like, and look, I tell you, in, in relation, we're speaking about the CUH, but in relation to the overall uh, problem in, in Bishopstone Wilson, like, we have CIT with 12, 12 students or 12,000 students moving about every day. We have Technology Park on the Model Farm Road with another two to 3,000 working there, and we have UCC with 22,000. So if you amalgamate all those together, you're nearly up to 38,000 people moving about in in Bishopstone Wilton area every day as such, you know. So the point that I'm trying to make is that there's going to have to be some form of strategy or initiative or incentive for the, the, the staff in all those all those areas that I've mentioned and, and, and put some better strategies going forward because, as I said earlier, Patricia, look, things are oversaturated with traffic here presently and it, it's just going to worsen if we don't do something about it, you know. Are there parking rides to that area? No, there isn't, unfortunately. Well, I hold on a second. Uh, there's Greyhound Stadium just out the road. The, the CIT are, are doing a pilot project there presently with that with that for the last few weeks. Now, that has been there again the last 10 to 15 years that car park with hundreds of empty car parking spaces Monday to Friday nobody has taken it up after we suggested it down the years that something should happen no in fairness to CIT they have started with it and now hopefully it will continue but the other fact is the parking ride nearest one then would be the Kinsale Road which is half empty every day as such and I, I still maintain Patricia that People going to walk in the western suburbs are passing that particular park and ride, so there should be some sort of park and ride to facilitate people in the western suburbs there also, you know. How do you encourage people, though, to use park and rides? You know, you, you, you have to put that positive, you have to put that bit of positivity out there that instead of sitting in their traffic on Southfields Road or on Bishopstone Road, or on Wilson Road, or on Model Farm Road. That, you know, the point being is, look, we have a bus lane uh, along, where is it? We have it along the Carragher Road there as such, right? Mm-hmm. I, 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 there was a, a suggestion made to me last night by email there that there should be some form of parking ride put out there on the near the anglers there as such, you know? Whereas you would have a, 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 a bus lane 
the continuous bus then all the way into the western suburbs like you know so it'd get people to and from work uh, quicker and isn't it very unfair Henry on people that have to visit the hospital who are visiting loved ones you see, and they can't the get a parking space I know and and that's, and that's terrible as such and you see you can't go to Wilton then because you're clamped over there it's it, it, this parking all around the hospital as such you know so I tell you, Patricia, that's one of the main reasons why, outside of the traffic overall, that was one of the main reasons why I raised that, because I've walked up there in the mornings and I've seen people sit there frustrated, waiting probably to get in for an appointment with a consultant or trying to get in to visit one of their loved ones. And, you know, it's just overhand, like, so I have asked the CUH to try and sort something out in relation to that going forward. And you were saying in, in sense of this, like you have you have the public bike scheme inside in the city centre. It doesn't go to the to the suburbs. If that's something that we're calling for. Again, parking rights, even simple things like carpooling with staff, you know? Like there could be some form of incentive introduced there with the CUK. Yeah, I mean that eighty three percent, that's a huge number that are actually driving to work there every day. Stay there because Billy and Bandon wants to get in on this discussion. Good morning to you, Billy. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Billy, you, you're you listening to me chatting with Henry about the lack of parking spaces in CUH. You're bringing up the point of why build hospitals in the middle of cities. Exactly. Exactly. And, 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 and it is the most ridiculous thing. I mean, the, 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 I was, like I said to John Paul, the, the, the National Children's Hospital now, where they're building it up in the middle of Dublin City. The National Maternity Hospital in the middle of Dublin City, where nobody can park anywhere. And, and and it's going to take going to take and they're talking about climate change. Think about all all the emissions out of cars and things like that mm-hmm. that are that are queuing up that that man is talking about there and and, and Chasfield Road and all that traffic queuing up there for 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 ages with their engines running. So you, you think know? all new hospitals, greenfield sites outside of the city, outside of the city, away outside of the city altogether. Yeah, way, way, whenever, please, and God. Mean, and I mean, at least 10 or 15 miles out, out of the city. And, and the, 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 the two hospitals that I mentioned that are, they're, they're talking about building at the moment in Dublin, mm. take them out, out to the middle of the country. They're national hospitals, so they should be in the middle of the country. Not be- in the middle of Dublin city. Because by the time you would travel to a hospital outside of the city, you'd probably get there quicker than what you will get with the one to St. James's Hospital because you're going to be bumper to bumper traffic. You're going to be in a traffic jam trying to just access that hospital and then add to that, there probably will be an issue with parking. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's crazy. So, I mean, the, 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 the parking in CUH is crippling anyway. If we're, if we're there for any any length of time at all. Oh, the cost you know, of it. We didn't even get into the cost of it. Yeah, that's that's another point. All right, Billy, listen, uh, thank you for that. Henry, where did you, where, where did it end up you raising this at a city meeting? Did you get any, I mean, the, the management at CUH, are they, they've got to be aware of the traffic problems. Are they trying to come up with a solution? Well, you see, the, the, this survey was carried out a few years ago in relation to the figures that I've given you there, Patricia. Okay. What, I've, what I've basically asked is for them to, to go back and, and try and get some form of strategy for the, the for the staff in relation to it. But then again, as I said, Patricia, it goes beyond the CUH out here in Wilton, you know. But, but zoning in on the CUH alone, as I say, like that, I've asked 
again, and I put proposals forward that, that first of all, that we would get something like a, a carpooling introduced there, that there would be some incentive there for the staff to carpool, you know, mm. and also in relation to a park and ride, like that, that there must be some areas on the western suburbs that could be used for a park and ride, you know. Yeah, actually, and I can see with cause and text coming in, that's where people are saying it's a park and ride on the, the western side. And of course, whenever we mention park and rides, people say, what about people coming from North Cork? We've no park and ride on that side of the city either. OK, all right. It's an issue that we're not going to, unfortunately, find a solution to here. But uh, well done for raising it, Henry. There's a lot of people uh, agreeing with you that something needs to be done. Um, so thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Bye bye, bye bye. That is Cork City Councillor Henry uh, Kremen. Just done a WhatsApp in on parking at Cork University Hospital. If a temporary parking facility could be arranged in close, close proximity to the hospital with a shuttle service to and from the hospital it would be a quick uh, solution it would probably only be feasible if it was set up as a private enterprise by some entrepreneur or landowner in the area reduced charges would make it very possible sorry would make it very popular and a necessary service it could also facilitate staff parking too but I actually was kind of taken aback to hear to hear Henry reckoning that some of the staff are using the public car park and I, I, I you know they, they, there is parking for staff but I was thought that they weren't able to park in a public parking space oh hang on I have a nurse from uh, CUH uh, on the line uh, this is uh, Eileen uh, good morning Eileen good morning hi I'm, I'm, how are you doing are you on the way to work or on the way home no, I'm actually off today. You're off, thank off. God. Okay. Are, are, are staff parking in the public car parks? No. Well, well, if they do, they pay 15 euros like everybody else. So you can't swipe in and out, as Henry thought? No, absolutely not. That was the point I wanted to make. No, absolutely not. So it would be, if it's a rarity if people do, and it's because, you know, it might be running a little late or something. But no, they they wouldn't typically park in there. And if they do, they pay 15 euros a day. That makes like it, that's a costly day to go to work yeah. if you're paying yeah. 15 euros on the park. Would you ever, would would a nurse or any of the staff ever chance it and leave it in Wilton for the day? The shopping centre? Oh, absolutely not. You'd be clamped. Would you? Okay. Yeah. So what do you so, do? What do you do, Wildin? If so there is... what we do, so what we do, if you're in before, if you're in before seven in the morning, you can uh, usually get uh, a space in the car parks that are actually on the hospital grounds, the staff car park. Um, if you're any later than that, and the likes of me, because uh, I'm a clinical nurse specialist, I my shift starts at eight, so I need to I need to be really uh, arriving um, up around twenty two eight, and I park over in, in Highfield, which is the um, sports centre there. Yeah. And we there's there's um, there's parking over there for staff. We have to have a sticker on our car, so we park there and we walk in. And there's also another um, sports centre facility, and I can't remember what it's called now, where it depends on what, what side of the hospital you're approaching from, that you, you go to either one or the other and just walk in. Um, but you do need to be coming into work for about 7 o'clock to get park act- parking actually in the hospital. hospital grounds. Otherwise, you're queuing. There's a whole heap of queuing that goes on. And like the gentleman said, you can do that if you've got time on your hands. If you can, you know, you can you just wait in a queue for the night staff to come out but then that means you wouldn't be actually parking until um, you know say 10 to 8 or even quarter past 8 or whatever you'd be you know so You'd be late for your shift yeah, Well yeah. if you start to work at 9 like if you're clerical perhaps 
in your starting work at nine, you can do that. You can you can queue and uh, and wait for the night staff to come out. But generally speaking, um, uh, nursing staff need to be would would start earlier, and we need to be in earlier to get to get parking. But, but uh, that's that we're not because that would be terrible if the nursing if the nursing staff were were were, were using their 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 passes to take the public. That's it's not happening. That it's not happening. So that's and that doesn't happen. But yeah. but Kabir, isn't it's nuts that there isn't enough parking spaces for the staff? It is. It is. Um, and uh, I, I know it's easier and less expensive in other places. Um, but it, I guess it's all about it's all about timing. So the, the worst thing is, I mean, the, the, from a staffing point of view, there isn't enough. But you know, we get by, mm. and they have they have made provision for us. Um, but 80, 83% of you drive to work is is uh, walking on a bike or public transport an option? Any of those an option for you? Uh, there's not an option for me because I live in Bantir, so it's not really. Yeah. But uh, park and ride thing would, is an option and they recently sent out a survey to all the staff. So it, it, is, something that, it is something that's being looked at and it is being considered for, by the management of the hospital. And would you would you use would you use park and ride if it was absolutely, if it was, yeah it was an option yeah absolutely yeah. most of us would yeah, yeah. We would. And, okay. or even buy the bicycle to work thing um, you know I um, bought a bike and with you to you know driving to a certain you know as, as much as as far as possible obviously I wouldn't cycle from band here no um, <laughs> <laughs> you want to be very you know, fit for that <laughs> you would be fairly fit for that so. Yeah, so it is something that's being looked at by, by yeah. the management. The yeah, it has to be. It has to be because yeah, it's it a situation that seems to be getting worse. Okay, I'm glad to clarify the earlier point, Eileen. Thank you for that. Enjoy your day yeah. off. Thank and, you. And uh, thanks for joining us. When we're talking about parking at Cork University Hospital, a listener is saying customers are having problems getting parking spaces in the Little and the Aldi stores in uh, Wilton. Are people parking there and heading into the hospital instead? 1850 Now we're back over a right of way in the Cork Harbour town of Cove could lead to pickets being placed at the deep water quay when cruise liners start to arrive for the new season and of course the new season begins next month. To explain the background to the story I'm joined by Independent Councillor Dermot O'Kyla. Good morning to you Dermot. Patricia, good morning. Uh, You're welcome. This is to do with a walkway that has been a right of way for locals that the Port of Cork is now saying is private property. Is that is that the case? That's basically the crux of it. Um, Port of Cork say they own the Deepwater Quay in full and therefore have the right um, under their own regulations to close it off on what they say are safety grounds. Um, but we're adamant and we have land registry maps which show clearly that the the water's edge for a strip of three or four metres all along what's called a five-foot way and the, along the Deepwater Quay is actually public property and is not in the parcel of land which is in the ownership of, of Port of Cork. Therefore, they have no right to close it off. Now, the issue only flared up, I, I think, um, September-ish, um, when it was closed off, I think, with the arrival of the Disneyland ship. And, in fact, the public roadway was closed without without a, a road closure licence, which is required. Um, and people took, um, took objection to 
the five foot traditional walkway for generations being closed off by Port of Cork. How, how, why, why do they do it for the Disney ship? Do they, do they well, not it, want it, the passengers it, mingling the with the great unwashed of Cove? I wonder, yeah. Well, the, the claim was that it's on safety grounds that because the ships are docking and there's buses manoeuvring and so on, that in the interest of public safety, they would close it. The point that numbers of residents have made is that it's not theirs to close. And the, the, the claim as the safety concern is given the lie by the fact that the very same ship, when it docked in Liverpool, the Disneyland ship, there are photographs available on the internet which show thousands of people thronging around it. So there is no safety issue for the from, from that ship's point of view. Um, so why should there be in Cove? And, and in any case, as I said, they don't actually own the stretch of land and neither do they have, do they have any right to close a public roadway. So people have objected and it, it, there appears to be a pattern because it's not the only place. You may have seen last last Sunday, actually, there was a protest at the at Marino Point where locals came out and removed barriers, which Port of Cork and private property signs, which the Port of Cork erected along a, a public walkway, which is in use for generations. In fact, the, local, the, the walkway is part of what used to be the main road out of Cove to get out of Great Island. So it is clearly public property is not belonging to Port of Cork. But they have manoeuvred um, and are they're doing the same thing, I think, on, well, I know, on the on Kennedy Pier and on what's called the Pilot Boat Pier at the, the East Camber area, um, where they have private property signs over property which they have no title and are not in a position to show title over. And is this, so that, I mean, are the Port of Cork are doing redevelopment work? Is there any of it to do with... No, the, the, the scandal here is that Port of Cork are in the middle of creating a master plan, as they call it, for development in the harbour area, which it sounds fantastic. Like, But I don't know why their plan should conflict with the public's wish to exercise their, their right of way and walking. Like, it, it, This should be the case that the Port of Cork should remove their barriers and their claims and say, sit down with the local population and say, guys, look, how can we facilitate all this development? And I believe it could all be facilitated. But to go and put barriers up has really, you know... And do not enter signs. Well, I think, no I think when local people see do not enter signs on land yeah. they've been walking on for many years. That just infuriates yeah. people. It, it does. And I suppose it, 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 the issue is sharpened because there's a thing called the Land and Conveyancing Bill, which was enacted by under Phil Hogan, the great water meters man, <laughs> uh, before he headed off to Europe, um, which says that if public rights of way are not registered before the trigger date on this legislation, which is the end of next year, then those rights of way will cease to exist. Well. So, so the concern, and it should be a concern nationally, actually, anybody who takes traditional hill walks or country walks, they might not even be conscious that they're going over a right of way. But if, if those rights of way are not registered next year, they will expire. And that's doubly the concern, is that if around the, the Marino Point, if these aren't established and recognised by the various powers that be, then they will no longer exist in law. So I've been hammering at the Municipal Council with, I have to say, almost, I think, unanimous support of the members there, that this issue needs to be resolved and that people's rights of way needs to be recognised. Okay. So I know but the Municipal Council has written to Port of Cork asking for a meeting on this. 
Because, but in the meantime, this threat of pickets when yeah, the cruise liners come in, that's, yeah. it's not the image we want to give of no, Gove? No, it, it's not, and it's not something which you'd like to see happen, but this is the level of anger amongst numbers of people who have previously been stopped along the five-foot way in particular, is that they're saying, if you don't sort this out, we're going to, to sort you out, as it were. And it's, it's getting into confrontation, which I think would be better avoided. There's no need for this, and the Port of Cork should... And respect the local population in which they operate and sit down around the table and say, look, these are our needs. What are your needs? But in the meantime, they can't arbitrarily decide that public ground is theirs because it's not theirs and they can't show it. I would challenge them to show us the deeds when they purchase the IFI site. Show us the map that includes what was the old public road because Cork County Council never sold that ground. So they couldn't possibly own it. And... um, these are the things people, you know, corporations sometimes, unfortunately, with their power and their great legal budget and so on, think they can bully people. But I think there's like there are three separate community groups have voiced over this in court so far. But I, I, the number of messages I'm getting is there's a groundswell of there's a lot of, of anger locally. Yeah, because yeah, I know we we had it on our news yesterday, and there was a you, you it was it was you could sense the the anger. I just think it's with the fact that local people yeah. they see it. You know, this was an area we walked in for many years and yeah. suddenly it's been taken yeah. away from us people and people get yeah. Yeah, yeah people get very yeah. annoyed by that okay we will uh, we will keep an eye on this story dear I, I I'm, I'm please God it will sense yeah. will prevail yeah. and thank you for that and thanks for thank joining you, us thank that you. is a local uh, county councillor independent councillor uh, dear Mitt O'Kyla 1850 John Paul taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 in the next hour we're going to have our coin and stamp expert on you can stop sending us in suggestions for your coins and stamps because we have so many of them we won't even be able to get get through them I'll try and do some general ones because a lot of people have say old half coins sending us in the dates or old pennies with the dates we'll try and find out the ones that are the most valuable which will give you a pointer so you can go through your box or your bag of coins at home and work out which are valuable and uh, which are not we'll be doing that all in the next hour You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed on compost bins still awaiting reply by the way from uh, Country Clean Helen in Ballyhay says I don't have a compost bin with them I am a customer but they're still charging me 21 euro it was on it comes up on my bill every six months for a compost bin but I don't have one oh that's the 21 euro that's interesting because 21 euro was what Anne was charged as well is that a six monthly charge hmm I've tried to ring them for answers says Helen but I'm going to get through to an answering machine and I get no answer to my question oh nothing more frustrating than press this press this press one press two is there when you're pressing you obviously have tried is there a you know stay on the line to get I don't know if they operate that system though you know stay on the line to speak to a human being uh, can you email them? I know John Paul, how we're dealing with them is by email. So I don't know if you could do that. This, that, that to me seems like an error if you're being billed for a compost bin that you you don't have a compost bin. Maybe they, they, they obviously assume you do. You need to get through to them some, somehow. If you don't have an email, the old traditional snail mail, write to them and point it out to them that you've been charged for something that you don't um, actually have. Lots coming in on the coins. Thank you for that. John in Cove says for decades this is to do with what we spoke about the right of way and the Port of Cork telling people that they're not allowed down on the deep water quay. John in Cove says for decades trawlers have been landing 
Herring at the Deepwater Quay. The Port of Cork was never closed off. They never closed off the quay to the people before and there was never any accident there. They are closing it now for cruise ships and John and Kofi as it's for the convenience of the passengers and the buses lining up on the quay. But, you know, you would think that the passengers would like to mingle with the you know, the people from the area and, and whatever and you know, people can stand and wave them off when the cruise liner is is leaving. This certainly is more to this story but hopefully sense will prevail. Common sense will prevail and it will get all sorted because I would hate the idea of people coming on big cruise ships to land in beautiful Cove and we're welcoming them to our shores where people stand and they were placards. It's just, it is not the image we want to put forward and it's certainly... If you were going on a cruise, you, you just wouldn't, it's just, you know, you could think, you, you would straight away think, should we be landing here at all? Should we be getting off here at all? If local people are objecting to the fact that we are here. So it's just, I hope, it, I really hope it doesn't get to that stage. Okay, on parking at CUH and the problems of parking at CUH, be it for the staff or be it for somebody wanting to go to an outpatient's appointment or somebody who wants to go uh, visiting. Lots of reaction on this piece that we did with Councillor Dermot O'Kyla. Charlie in North Cork says, whatever happened to the plan or the suggestion that on the North Ring Road there would be a park and ride for those coming from the North Cork area? Uh, Charlie remembers it being spoken about and it was to be at the junction of Mayfield and Glanmire. So it was something was spoken about, but nothing became of it. John and Middleton was on to say his wife is one of the 4,000 workers that we heard about that work at Cork University Hospital. His wife, a little bit like what Eileen, the nurse, told us, has to park at Highfield Rugby Club and then walk to the hospital. John makes the point, if it's a nice, bright spring morning or a nice, warm, balmy summer day, it's grand. But John says, if it's a wet morning, and we've had some very wet mornings in the last few weeks, the staff can be absolutely soaked by the time they get to CUH. And I should have thought of that when I spoke with Eileen, who's, who speaks about parking in one of the sports facilities. But you have to get in earlier because you've got to allow for, for the walk. I hadn't thought about what happens on a wet morning when you're struggling to uh, get in. OK, some more of your... Um, these are WhatsApps uh, coming in to us on this issue. There's lots coming in on coins. Uh, so leave that one there. This is, hi Patricia. I used to think that the hospitals should be, all the hospitals should be in the midlands of the country. But, and this is, you know, when people were arguing the toss about the National Children's Hospital and there have been loads of suggestions saying it would make it easier for people around the country if you had to the Midlands and everyone, you know, if you had a sick child and you needed to get a child to the main hospital, everyone would be travelling but it would be easier when they'd get there because, you know, the roads wouldn't be as congested as they are in a city and there'd be lots of parking because it would be on a greenfield site and they could build lots of parking space. So, the texture says, was of that belief as well that this would always be the best idea but then, this texture says, I heard a discussion about attracting staff. Living in the countryside isn't as attractive to staff as asking them to live and work in the city. So that's why a lot of these hospitals all go to the city. They just need more parking. Staff in hospitals should always be available. You can't have doctors and medical staff turning up late or hot and sweaty from dashing to work. So, you know, if we're going to stay on that route of building all of our hospitals in main big urban areas and in cities then we have to facilitate the staff and make sure that the staff have 
places to uh, park. But somebody else this morning, Trish, I was listening to your earlier caller, Billy from Bandon, and Billy was the one who was suggesting that none of these hospitals should be built in the middle of the city and they should be out in outlying uh, areas. This texter feels Billy was dead was dead right. Also says this texter, look at Cork City, an event an event centre in the middle of the city. Planners must have, have their heads in you you know where oh, yeah. Well the event centre, that's another story in itself, isn't it? We're still waiting on that one to be built. But I know the point you're making, there will be traffic delays getting to and from there are they going to have adequate parking are we going to have problems with parking we're going to have to wait and see on that one Sandy says CUH the A&E Surgical and Maternity Hospital should all be taken out of the present location at Wilton and they should be put on a new Greenfield site maybe on the North Ring Road and then the present location could retain cancer services and other units and it could be used similar to Bantry in Mallow as a step-down general hospital. There are some scary stories in relation to maternity and ambulances just making it on time and that is due to traffic, says Sandy. And if you're in an ambulance, you can put on the siren and the lights and traffic can move out of your way. I'm sure there's been some scares at the maternity hospital if somebody is sitting in the car and hobby partner or someone is driving you and you get caught in traffic that must be and you in the throes of labour oh uh, to me now that would be an absolute nightmare Catherine says who in their right mind gave permission for a supermarket to be built almost at the entrance to Cork University Hospital knowing the problems with space in the hospital grounds could that land not have been used instead and, and use it for parking spaces yeah why not uh, says that's from Catherine thank you Catherine uh, for that Alistair says, hi Patricia, if you get a chance would you please mention that since 4.30 yesterday, our family's miniature pony is missing on the Boherbury Road of Canturk. He was last seen on the road at Lismail Conan, Lismail Lismail Conan, people in the area, I'm probably mispronouncing that, but people in the area were obviously know what I'm attempting to say. So any news on his whereabouts, so can you keep an eye out, a family miniature pony Looking a bit lost, General Bohubri Road of Canturk yesterday went missing, still missing. So if anybody knows of that little pony's whereabouts, 087 296 would be great to get that little lost pony. It's a little miniature one as well. It would be great to get it reunited with its family. 087 296 if you can help us with that. And lots and lots of texts in on coins. Thank you for that. 1850 333 C103 Jobs. Part-time or full-time senior stylist is required for a Mallow Salon. While Duke on Concrete, they've got a vacancy for an experienced accounts administrator. A Delhi sales assistant position is available in a busy Bandon service station. The Aldi candidate must be willing to work flexible hours. And a Tacney Hackney driver, taxi Hackney even, wanted for a school run two hours morning and evening. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Now the Cork 50 Plus Expo returns to the City Hall this weekend for its 10th consecutive year. The event covers a range of interests, needs and concerns for people 50 and over, including things like hobbies and pastimes. One of the items over the weekend that caught our attention was coin and stamp valuation by Mike Kelly, one of Ireland's foremost coin collectors, who I'm delighted 
delighted to say has taken time out uh, to join us today. Uh, good morning to you, Mike. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, good morning. Well, and you're you're welcome to 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 the to the program. Do you like attending ex- things like the expo this weekend? Because you never know who's going to show up with what. Well. You've said it exactly. People are lovely. I love meeting people for a start. I love hearing the stories behind why they started collecting or how they inherited what they have. And some really very, very unusual things have turned up over the years, especially down in Cork. I mean, there's always a queue at my table for for people with valuations. What is it? Is it worth? People have loads of stuff in their house and they've no idea if it is valuable or not. And they're afraid to do away with it in case it is valuable. Yeah. Where, when, when, and where did your interest in coins stem oh, from? Oh gosh, it goes back to my school days when we used to pay a penny on the bus to school, and the busman got stuck with foreign coins, and uh-huh. he was cursing under the stairs in the bus, saying, "Oh, what am I going to do? I've got to pay this money." Those little brats upstairs uh, gave me this, so I said, "Look, I'll give you a penny for that, whatever the foreign ones on." So, of course, once or twice a week, I met up with that uh, busman, and and he gave me all the he gave me all the dud coins that he got yeah. and I started coin collecting. <laughs> wow, wow, isn't that incredible? And Mike, are there many valuable coins out there buried in drawers and in boxes under beds and at the bottom of Granny's wardrobe? Well, most of the valuable coins in the world are accounted for, but there is still a Sir John for certain things. Um, the most valuable Irish coins um, happened because so few were produced during the war years. A 1943 Irish half crown and Irish two shillings, um, bang in the middle of, of World War Two. Silver and all metals were scarce, and it turned out when the when the two shilling piece was made, there was more than two shillings worth of silver in it because the price wow. of silver had gone up. So naturally, they weren't going to they weren't going to the, no bank was going to um, introduce that out. So they scrapped it, sent it back to the mint to be melted down, and they made them out of cupro nickel. But of course, some of them escaped, as all good stories happen. And there's a bag or two bags that actually got out in change and they're the only ones available to collectors. So that's the only magic year, really, in the Irish coins, 1943. And, and of course, the much more modern one that Dublin Coin Auctions discovered, uh, which was the the 1985-20-pence piece. 1985, and that's a fairly modern, yeah, 20, that's 20 pence piece. That's a fairly modern coin. Um, it, was, it was a new introduction. A 20-pence piece was a new denomination. Yeah, and um, the, the minute the bank, central bank, announced that they were going to introduce this, of course, all the all the people have vending machines, slot machines, um, the telephone boxes. All of those had to be calibrated for the new coin. So a certain a certain six hundred were issued only to these. Um, vendor operator, shall we call them, uh, to calibrate their machines. And, of course, they had to give them back, and they were dated 1985, a year before the official issue of 1986. Now, everyone has a 1986 one, and they were issued from 1986 up to 2000. Those ones are only worth 25 cents. But the 1985 one sold for 15,000 euros. 
Oh. So and there are only about, there are only eight or nine known, and there's a possibility of 20 out there. So there's, you know, there's still about 10 or 11. Okay, so anyone with tw- the, the old 20p, you're looking for a 1985. Only uh, 1985. Only 1985. All other dates are only worth 25 cents. And and we and and I'll pay twenty five cent for all the other twenty twenty pences, but it's only that particular one, and it's the same with the Irish half crowns and two shillings. It's only the nineteen forty three that is the scarce one. Okay, what about the fifty p? Staying with the the the, the modern one, the fifty p coin that was issued in nineteen eighty eight to mark the Dublin Millennium. Dublin Millennium, a thousand years of the Dublin Millennium. There was a special collector's issue of that issued. It was in um, a, a, what they call a proof coin. It's issued in a special capsule and like a little jewellery box. And they were available to collectors and I think they cost about £15 at the time. And um, they weren't in circulation. The ones we have in circulation, there are still so many of them there. Um, they're not more than face value. So, yeah, so we're yeah. looking at 60 cents. And the, and the other one then for the millennium was the one pound coin the one pound stag for the millennium well in the year 2000 the, 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 they produced the one pound with the millennium the Braher boat on it yeah, right? yeah. Um, but they also issued in the year 2000 the one pound the one pound with the stag and that's the scarce one because there were there were, there were two million of the millennium ones issued yeah. but, but there were only something like 200,000 of the stag one. So the stack one is probably so worth stag, more. But it's it's worth double. It's it's worth two it's worth two euro fifty instead of one oh. euro twenty five, you know. You're not going to get rich on it. But it's the one to collect. Well no, you see, collecting coins and, and any hobby, stamps, postcards, no matter what you collect, it's not about getting rich. It's the satisfaction of doing it, keeping your mind active. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now we have been in undated and, and we're having a hope of getting through all of the coins that people want you to comment right. on and and value. Uh, and we will get to as many of them as we can. But before we do, people are saying, do they need to make appointments with you across no. the weekend or how does it they operate? Just, they just come along and join the queue. If, it's, if the queue gets too long, I say go and have a cup of coffee inside in the restaurant and come back to me uh, in 10 or 15 minutes. They just bring along whatever they, whatever they want. There's no charge for doing it. I hope to find nice things to put into the next auction. That's what my hope is. Okay. Okay, all right. Now, I got very excited. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. 
For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You see, this is the thing that's interesting about coins. You think because you have something that is very old that it's going to be really valuable. And and listening to you talk about, I mean, that 1985 20p, you'd think was worth anything. And that's the one that's worth 15,000. Correct. And we got contacted this morning by somebody who has a coin called a Grosch. Right. And it's from the 1200s. And I was saying to John Paul, oh, we have it. This is going to be the gem. Uh, because the, the Grosch is the, that was the, the old... It's a defunct uh, money, uh, isn't it? Yes, a groat, a groat was a, a groat was a silver fourpence. Okay. They had silver pennies, and then the groat was uh, was a fourpence because it was a quarter of a shilling. That that was the idea. And it was under the reign of Edward the First. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, well, that, that's a piece of hammered silver. In those days, they didn't have machinery, and 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 a bar of silver was hammered flat with a wooden mallet on a, a, against a, a, a wooden a wooden table. Yeah. And 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 as it got thinner and thinner and thinner, when it got to a certain thinness, they had cutting dies that they struck and cut out the coin. That's the way the coins were produced by hand until machinery came in. And he sent down a picture. I can see, yeah. But so, but, but so it's a silver coin with a sort of a cross through the yeah, middle and, yeah. and, 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 and 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 the king's head. Well, it's bronzy looking now. I have to say. Oh yes, right. Well, it's well, well, yeah. Okay. Um, silver tarnishes very easily, yeah, and yeah, that's, that's another what, yeah. thing to people. I sometimes I forget to say it, and I'd like to say it to everyone out there who's listening. You cannot improve a coin to try and clean it polish it and enhance it in any way makes it valueless and it's valueless because no collector is ever going to buy a coin that has been cleaned or interfered or tampered with. Are you serious? So leave all leave all the muck and grime and everything that's on it when the collector if he's interested buys the coin let him do it because right. he's, 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 he's devaluing it himself. Okay. <laughs> People have polished up silver coins and brass coins to make them shiny looking they will, they're, they're worthless. Just okay. absolutely worthless. All right, so this old growth from the 1200s, don't leave it dirty, but is it worth anything? Pardon? Is it worth anything? This? Well, it's probably worth something from, uh, depending on the condition of it. Okay. Uh, you know, that particular, I, normally I'm able to guess what they look like. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that particular one, I would need to see. But um, it's, it's anything from 10 euros, possibly up to about 100 euros. Depend, you see, what happened in those days, because it's a silver coin, the edges of the coins were clipped. 
So you had a, you had a coin that was worth fourpence, but it was made of silver. So if you clipped a little bit around the edge off it, right? Mm. And if you had enough of them and clipped it, you could probably make up another penny out of all of the silver clippings <sighs> and still get your value for the fourpence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 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 so they tended to get clipped, and because they're fairly thin, they're easily broken and damaged and folded. And of course, the other thing happened that some of those coins that have a cross on them, they cut them in half as change. Do you know what oh, I mean? If you, if you bought a loaf of bread for two pence and you gave a growth, they'd cut it in, they'd cut it in two and give you two pence, uh, half back. And give you, back give you your half change. back, yeah. 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 A lovely piece to have though, the fact that it's dated, you know, it's back from the 1200s. Ah, yeah, yeah. Well, you see, we're talking about how old a thing is and how valuable. Some Roman coins that are you know, some Roman coins that are back to the back to Christ's time, right? And BC are only five or ten pounds. E- sorry, five or ten euros each. Yeah. E- yeah. Even though they're two thousand years old, yeah. Because there were millions of them issued then. There are, of course, some very scarce Roman coins, especially ones made of gold and silver, and especially ones for the um, uh, for the emperors that didn't last very long. You see, if an emperor was there for thirty, forty years, he issued millions of pounds worth of coin every year to pay the troops and to and 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 to pay his debts to other countries so um there was a massive amount of coin in circulation and it has filtered down to us but if but if an emperor was only there for two years and then got assassinated or died there'd be very little coins and they're scarce. And they're the, it's the yeah. scarce ones yeah. are the most valuable. Okay, Chris contacted us yesterday. He has two old ploughman pound notes. 10th of the 10th, 1939. So start of the Second World War. Are they worth anything? Yes, indeed. Uh, they were the first Irish banknotes that were issued and they're very collectible. It's very... With banknotes and any paper money, it's down to how good the condition is. Folded and creased notes, dirty marks on them, pencil marks and ink marks on them. When you hold them up to the light, there are pinholes in it. The notes were so big, they always got folded and creased. Um, the, 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 the one pound ploughmans were issued in seven different, eight different banks. So written on, and that's important, Bank of Ireland was the most common one. I assume it's Munster and Leinster uh, because, because of your area down In Cork, there. yeah. But, the, but they were issued uh, uh, Hibernian Bank, um, Ulster Bank, Northern Bank, Royal Bank of Ireland, all of the banks issued and had their name on the note. But we can imagine that's anything from 60 up to probably about 200, maybe more if the condition is super in it. You've got to keep a note flat between two pieces of cardboard in an envelope. Don't fold it up in your pocket or put it in a wallet. A little dog ear on the corner can devalue by 10, 20% the, the, the value of a note. Okay, so but so is he worth... Is he worth- Bringing those along? Is oh, it, it is yeah. indeed, absolutely. absolutely. The, the, if the condition is good on those, they're items that would be worth putting into uh, putting into auction. If he wants to sell them, I'll fix them up with a, with a buyer one way or the other. There was a lady from, um, there was a lady from Drumahan who had a £5 uh, currency commission note, 1940. Mm-hmm. And that was a later issue. They're called the Lady Lavery Five Pounds. And 1940 is quite early. They were issued from 1940 right up to 1976. So the 1940 ones in good condition are around the same, 80 to 200 euros. 
80 for being a bad condition one, 200 for being a very good condition one. And if it's a super condition, brand new, looking almost like it was printed last week, yeah. uh, it could be double that. Okay. Uh, and then uh, Nuala contacted us on behalf of her cousin, who has a stamp album that my great-grandmother started collecting in the late 1800s. What's the... She wants to... She wants to... With the best way to get it valued. Where, 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 well, we can do that for it. She, you, you'd like to see that stamp I collection? I would indeed, yes, because... Uh, early, she also has the huge postcard early collection. Stamp, early stamp ones like that um, were, were a world collection, but of course, uh, they're mostly... Victorian stamps and especially British colony early Victorian stamps have a um, they have a greater selection of people looking for them than the more modern stamps you know mm. um, of course, and a postcard uh, uh, collection Oh yeah, well the collection. Well, I don't know if maybe she has the collection in two or three albums. If she's able to bring them along, but are they a postcards worth anything? Huge at the moment. Oh, are they okay? Especially post. Well, especially postcards of Ireland and especially early ones. If 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 the lady concerned was collecting stamps back in the uh, late eighteen hundreds, that's when postcards were around. So there could be some gems in that as well. That's that's well worth looking at. All right, yes. And you, you have discovered gems. Tell the story of the, the couple who were in financial difficulty and they and they came to you in Cork, wasn't it? In Cork, uh, I think it was about the second or third year that I uh, that I was down with the with the fifty plus show, and um, family, a gentleman and his wife and child came along to me and they showed me uh, what is um, a, a Celtic. A Celtic stator. It's a gold coin about the size of a 50 cent piece, right? And it is uh, 200 BC is when it was issued. It was issued in Gaul in France to the, tri- to, to the Celtic tribes that the Romans were attacking, right? So um, he showed me this coin and I said, what do you want to do with it? And he said, I need a valuation. I said, it's worth either 120 euros or a thousand euros. And he looked at me and he said, why? What's the difference? I said, if it's just a piece of gold and it's a fake, because most uh, expensive coins have been copied, um, it's only worth the gold value. But if it's the real thing, it's worth more. We have to get it authenticated. So um, he explained to me that he needed to sell it and wanted to put it in auction because his mortgage was in trouble. And the bank were, not foreclosing, but they were giving them pressure. The, 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 the financial people um, who was mortgage, who was work, he was under pressure for, for mm. to do something. So I took it and we expertised it. And yes, it was genuine. And we put it in our auction and we had it in at an estimate of €1,500. Um, on the day of the auction, well, before the day of the auction, um, <laughs> uh Lots of people came to view it. It was quite extraordinary, the number uh, of people, because it was in good condition. It eventually sold for €3,400. So, uh, of course, um, <laughs> the, the bank involved were very, very adamant uh, that they wanted that money, that I wasn't to give the money to my clients, you know. <laughs> but I, I, I'm under authority, you know, I'm, I'm under the instruction of the owner of the coin Anyway, he, yeah. he, he, he was happy because it now meant he had a lot more money uh, and he had a lot more money to pay off the mortgage.
marriage. Oh, fantastic. I asked fantastic. him where it came from and he said that the grandfather had left it uh, to, to, to him uh, for a rainy day and he reckoned that that rainy day had come. Ah, that's a really sweet story. And actually, I can see some people, the, the, the 20p coin from 19, it was 1985. Somebody sent me in a picture. They're holding a 20p coin, uh, but it's 1995. You're 10 years out. It's 1985. Yeah. I, I, because, as I say, so many people have contacted us. Just give us a, a sample of what coin, other coins well, people should be looking, looking out for and what's worth what. All, well, well I'll, I'll do it the other way around, Patricia. Okay. All the pennies and halfpennies and the copper coins, okay. even the ones going back to 18, 30s and 1840s they're all worth a half a cent each a, a bag of them put on the bathroom weighing scales is two euros a kilo there are hundreds and thousands and millions of them still around they're very common nothing unique about them at all okay so that's the, the half penny and the penny the half penny penny the irish hen pennies and the english the english ones with the king or queen's head and britannia sitting on the front of it okay um what what tends to be worth a euro each is the farthing. Of course, we, the farthing was the smallest Irish coin. An Irish farthing with a harp on it, because before we went decimal, the, the, the farthing was withdrawn. Like, like our one cents and two cents are being withdrawn from, um, um, circulation, from circulation. Yeah. The farthing was withdrawn. So when we, when we went decimal in 1970s, um, the farthing wasn't around. So people held on to the old LSD money, hoping it would be valuable in the future. But the farthing wasn't available. So now they're looking for farthings to complete their collection and they'll pay a euro or two euros uh, for the farthing. So the smallest, cheapest coin of all is actually worth more. <laughs> <laughs> and any other ones? There's a, lot, there's a lot of people saying that they've got the English coins. Yeah, well, English coins were in circulation in Ireland, you see, up to, up to, up to when we went punt and we and, and we broke away from sterling and um, they just accumulated you know what I mean it's, it's really only leftover money that was never used or cashed in uh, it's the same with holiday change when you went on your holidays abroad and came back with all the foreign coin the bank would take back the banknotes but they wouldn't take back the coins so we were left with the coins so there's piles of those around again nothing terribly valuable in them unless there is a silver content in the coins in the english silver coins up to 1920 there was real silver in the coins so even if a coin is worn an english coin is worn or damaged it has a silver content and therefore an intrinsic value it has a metal value apart from the collector value after that they started mixing copper and uh, nickel in with the metals to make the coins so 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 they were no longer valuable all right, I see a couple of people with penny coins from 1916 and I suppose because of the date, 1916. Okay, uh, 1916. Including one said, unfortunately, the penny coins are very black. They should be black. Don't try and clean them. Correct. But yes, uh, yes. Uh, the 1916 one is interesting, says this sister. Now, I suppose it's just the connection to the fact that it is 1916. Yeah, correct, correct, yes. But yes. it's not worth anything, no, any more value. Half a cent. I, I have, I've... I don't know if I have four or five of them with me. Um, I, I have them for sale for a cent. I'm making 100% profit on them by selling them <laughs> for one cent. <laughs> and, the, and a few people on to us about the old punt, punt the notes. Yes. 10 punt Irish note, 20 punt Irish note from 1985. Well, uh, the, punt, the punt notes have to be in absolute perfect condition. I mean, the 10 pound, the 10 punt note is still worth 11 euro 20. 
you know what I mean? It has a face value. The twenty, the twenty, uh, the twenty punt is twenty-two euro fifty. It still has a face value supposedly cash-inable with the central bank. The local banks won't take them, but the central bank in Dublin will turn them into euros. The note has to be absolutely pristine, no folds, creases, not even the slightest wobble of a bend in it, not even the slightest ripple for it to be worth more than the face value. Yeah, and the face, and the... On the, the modern one. The face now, value the, is... It's, the, yeah. yeah, that is on the one since the 70s, you know. Okay, and it's, it's I think it's 127 they're given on the on the punt, isn't it? It is. Or something yeah, like that, yeah. yeah. But you yeah. have to, you can't quit your bank because we had somebody, when we started mentioning this yesterday, somebody has a bag load of old notes that, they, I don't know who they belong to and I was telling them cash, cash them in, you know, you, you can still cash yeah. them in. Well, you see, they, they, it's very difficult because you have to go to Dublin. You yeah. have to have ID, you have to present proof of address, you have to give your bank account details. They take them in and three or four weeks later that money is transferred to your account. They make it slightly difficult. They make it hard, yeah. You know, but they've never put an end date. We're one of the unusual countries that they didn't correct. put an end date. Correct, correct. Um, most of the European countries had had a termination date, uh, like uh, five or ten years, uh, for all the old currency to be taken in and, tr- and changed into euros. No, that doesn't happen in Ireland. No. Yeah, because I was even even over in England recently. They changed. I think it was their pound coin, and they gave they gave it like a two or three month lead in, and you had to, and then it was it was a well well yeah they demonetized them, but you can if if you <sighs> that's for trading and for use. But if you have the old round pound English sterling coins, uh, you you can still lodge them to an English sterling bank account. Yeah. Oh, I know what you're saying. Yeah, you can. You just can't use it as currency. The the shops shops won't take it. There was only, I think it was last October, shops ceased trading, using them and taking them just to to bring the new new pound coin in. Can I I just say, somebody sent me in a a photograph. It's, It's the old one pound it's in mint condition now there's a few creases in it but by god it's in mint condition in clear in clean yeah but you see now is this the one with uh, Lady Lavery Lady Lavery on it yeah the, trend, the second of the 1069 Lady Lavery I was just going to say it's a 68 or a 69 it's a 69 yeah it, yeah. Ju- it looks like a brand new well, note well you see that was the last year that they were issued Ah, so because somebody in, put in 19, that away. In 1970, we went to it, but the fold makes the difference. Yeah, there is folds, but it's yeah. still in it's still in incredible condition. Uh, John F. Kennedy, half dollar from 1964. Right, John F. Kennedy, every house has a Churchill five shillings and a John F. Kennedy <laughs> 1964. Yeah, yeah, they have. Uh, the Churchill five, five shillings is a crown. It's not a scarce or rare coin at all. Um, it's tw- five shillings, 25 pence sterling, which is about 32 cent. It's it's that's the face value. It's worth only fifty cents. So it, there's no precious metal in it. The John F. Kennedy half dollar in 1964. Every third house in Ireland has one of those because we all have some connection with America. Any of our relatives in America at the time, because of Kennedy's Irish links, they sent over um, the Kennedy half dollar, 1964. It is a silver clad. In other words, it's base metal centre and there's a covering of silver on it. That's the only one. They still issue them. They're issued every year. It's a great It's a great team collecting John F. Kennedy every year from uh, 1964 up to 2019 um, but it's, it's it, the 64 one is worth 2 euros all the others are face value 
Pat wants to know, did uh, Mike ever come across a Harley Q? It was a half an English farthing. And what's it called? How's it spelled? Har- Harley Q? H-A-R? H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-E. Harlequin, yeah. Oh, Harlequin, sorry. Yeah. sorry well, 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 what happened, you see, the way it happened, the, the kings and queens in England, they, they only wanted their picture, right, their portrait on silver and gold coins. They decided um, copper is too base a metal for the king or queen's effigy to appear on. God, how posh were they? Well, that's, that's <laughs> exactly <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. And, and this, resulted, this resulted in a complete um, scarcity of small change. So local hardware shops and, and um, blacksmiths and um, metal manufacturers of any sort started producing their own tokens, penny, halfpenny and farthing tokens. And these were, um, I suppose they're a bit like like, uh, like a credit note. If you came in with a silver sixpence and you had, and you had to get twopence change, uh, there were no pennies available. Mm. So, so the hardware shop issued their own token pennies. And you could come back to the hardware shop and spend the, them. Yeah, and spend but they circulated in the pub and in the post right. office and in a few other places. So, so they actually became so. So it's it's basically token money again. Okay, that's a very nice niche collectible area. Again, yeah, people people collect them. Okay, then um, any particular standout ones from? We've lots of people with sixpence piece with the dog, or the threepence piece with the hare, or the half crown with the horse, or the farthing with the bird. Yeah. Well, the farthing with the bird is the one I'm talking about there. Um, it's worth at least a euro, depending on the condition. If it's in super mint condition, as people have seen, I've seen three or four of them, they would sell for about eight euros. But the ones I see normally are one euro each. Okay. The same with the uh, half crown. The half crown with the, with with the, the horse. horse is a euro, except, except up to 1935, 38 there was a silver content in it. Not full silver, like sterling silver. It was only 70% silver. So that would make it probably 150, uh, maybe even 2 euros if it's in good condition. Silver's a soft metal. It wears very easy, Patricia. And the silver coins... That's why they use copper and nickel nowadays, because it's a harder metal. It doesn't wear like silver wears, you know. Okay, and the threepence with the hair? Threepence, not really. There no. is there, Well, 1939, again, war years, very few were produced. Um, 1930, if you're collecting a set of Irish threepences with the hair on them, uh, you, it, the hardest one to get is the 1939 one. And it's probably worth three or four euros. Okay, I'm looking down through, yeah, I've got a 38 now, but I don't have a 39 yeah, in the, the list. Yeah, the 39 is scary. <laughs> Yeah, with 39.40, all metals were used for war and yeah, of course. coins were in circulation and produced, you know. Okay. But, but nobody's going to retire on the. I think everybody thinks that when they have an old coin that it's going to be so valuable they'll be able to retire on the money. I have met wonderful people who've come along with uh, a bag of Victorian pennies uh, talking about 1840s to 1890s and they're ready to go on a Mediterranean cruise <laughs> and, and their jaw drops when I say well that's five euros worth yeah. for this bag of coins like you know <laughs> Alright so you're looking forward to meeting Cork people across the weekend as you say and you there are you there for the full day both I'm days? I'm there for the full day Saturday and Sunday from 11am to 5pm By God but you love doing what you're doing <laughs> Alright, okay. Do, All right. do. And and I can tell by your accent you're you're a born and bred dub. Well, 
well, I have Cork relatives. Do you? Or not, but they totally disown me. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Are they city or county? Carrigaline. Carrigaline. All yes, right, lo- yes. lovely spot. Okay, listen. Lots of people looking forward to seeing you over the weekend. And Mike enjoyed it. Was a real pleasure having you on the program. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. And thanks for joining us. Oh, uh, God bless. Okay. Bye bye. Uh, coin collector Mike. Kelly uh, and he will be doing valuations at the City Hall uh, this weekend for the Over 50s uh, Expo. It opens at 10 on Saturday and 11 on Sunday if you want to come along and if you missed all of what Mike said because he did give a lot of detail there you can listen back on c103.ie and click on the listen back option. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A gig we're all looking forward to this year is going to be on Monday the 8th of July when Daryl Hall and John Oakes uh, take to the stage. Hall and Oates, uh live at the Marquee. Tickets went on sale this morning at 9am, ticketmaster.ie. We have a pair of tickets to give away now. Caller 5 that can identify this Hall and Oates song. The opening line, she'll only come out at night. She'll only come out at night. I'm about to burst forth into the song, but I won't do that to you on a Thursday afternoon. What song are we talking about from Hall & Oates? Caller 5 to get through to John Paul, 1850-333-103 wins a pair of uh, tickets to Hall & Oates, live at the marquee. Hall & Oates, it's already wrong, on Monday the 8th of July. She only comes out at night. What song are we talking about. Now we've had such a busy morning this morning I haven't had a chance yet to mention the programme that was on last night part one of this two part documentary on Michael Jackson uh, leaving, ne- leaving, leaving Neverland a very very disturbing programme last night. I sat through it and it was very uncomfortable viewing at uh, times. Part two is on tonight. This is just a little montage of some of what was said. I mean, the story, the actual documentary centres on two young men, Wade Robson and uh, Jimmy Safechuck, who were both, had both starred with Michael Jackson at some stage, either on stage as a dancer or in one of the Pepsi commercials with him and then formed this friendship with him. And then they're talking about how that friendship developed into being sexually abused. Both claim they were sexually abused uh, by Michael Jackson. So the footage last night is the two of them giving their testimony to the camera and their two mothers also very much feature. And then obviously there's video clips dating back to the time when they were children, small, little, gorgeous little boys. And uh, you see them with Michael Jackson. But here's just a a sample of what... um, was said and revealed last night. Everybody wanted to meet Michael or be with Michael. And then he likes you. I was seven years old. Michael asked, do you and the family want to come to Neverland? We drive in and forget about all your problems. You were in Neverland. It was a fantasy. The days were filled with magical childhood adventure experiences. Playing tag, watching movies, eating junk food, anything you could ever want as a child. It's like hanging out with a friend that's more your age. Just kid things, they were just doing kid things. He just came across as a loving, caring, kind soul. It was easy to believe that he was just that. 
Out of a storybook, right? Out of a fairy tale. Hello, Wade. Today is your birthday. So congratulations. I love you. Goodbye. There's no thoughts of this is wrong or anything like that. He told me if they ever found out what we were doing, he and I would go to jail for the rest of our lives. Secrets will eat you up. You feel so alone. I want to be able to speak the truth as loud as I had to speak the lie for so long. the first half of that documentary because it runs for about three hours so the first half last night on Channel 4 and the second half is uh, on uh, tonight I mean many many disturbing moments uh, throughout the the whole thing particularly when the two men talk with great intensity um, about the abuse and they describe it in graphic detail in in unflinching detail it's just and you could see the pain etched on their face as they're telling it Uh, and obviously there's a huge confliction because the you know Michael Jackson is dead he can't defend himself and you know isn't it easy to come out now and talk about somebody after after they've died but they, they're very convincing, these two men. I mean, you kind of look thinking, how could they have me making up these stories? But what really, as a mother, what got to me was the two mothers who must having, I mean, they obviously are believing every word out of their son's mouths, but it was the mothers and the parents, the dads were involved as well, but it's the mothers who are focused in the documentary, how, you know, Wade, Wade Robson, who are from Australia, they, both the mum and dad were there at the time, they left their little seven-year-old Wade in Neverland for a week while they went off on a road trip and the sexual abuse of Wade started immediately, whereas with Jimmy Safechuck, it was very obviously the whole family, but particularly the mother was being groomed to trust Michael and then she did trust Michael. And when the trust was built up, that's when the abuse, according to Jimmy, uh, actually start, actually started. But he did seduce the parents as well in that there was this promise of this wonderful celebrity lifestyle. And, you know, they talk about flying first class and being picked up by a limousine and having the best hotel suites. And he was showing them a lifestyle that they could only dream of and the belief, you know, t- selling to them that your, you know, your sons are going to grow up to be rich and famous and you'll always lead this lifestyle. So they very much got sucked in on that as well. And then another, I thought, really upsetting part for me and heart-wrenching part for me was watching the boys say, I mean, they loved Michael Jackson and they believed Michael Jackson loved them. They didn't realise at the time that what was going on was so wrong. But there was a pattern forming that the child would be number one to Michael Jackson for a year and then he'd move on to the next child because he seemed to like young children. So obviously as they got older, he didn't want them anymore. So that seemed to have been the pattern where they would be there for a year and the abuse would go on for a year and they would have all of the attention and get everything they want and be flown first class and taken into toy shops with a trolley and, you know, a shopping trolley and told, put whatever you like in it. I mean, every child's dream. You're talking seven and eight year old uh, little boys and then suddenly the year would be up and Michael Jackson's attention would suddenly turn to another uh, little boy and you know one of the boys one of the men last night you know spoke 
when the mother spoke first saying you know how it broke her heart to see her little boy waiting every day for a phone call you know it was the mother realised he's not going to get the phone call anymore Michael's moved on to somebody else and that's exactly uh, what he did anyway round two is on tonight um, if you haven't watched it I'll just I will warn you it is it is quite graphic and unbearable detail at, at times I, w- I was I certainly was flinching as I was watching uh, parts of it it's on uh, Channel 4 at uh, 9 o'clock and certainly not uh, for children that's for sure OK 1850 I'm assuming we have word winner we do we have our Hall and Oates winner Maneater was the name of the song that we were talking about and uh, Fiona O'Connor of uh, Upper Belmont in Crookstown was the caller with the correct answer congratulations that's uh, Fiona O'Connor Upper Belmont in Crookstown congratulations to you uh, Fiona you are heading off to see Hall and Oates live at the Marquee on Monday the 8th of July. We have our final set of tickets to give away tomorrow on the programme and of course if you weren't lucky enough to win you can buy them. They're available now as I'm from 9 o'clock this morning ticketmaster.ie And just a quick look at some of your calls coming in. A lot of reaction to Mike Kelly our coin and stamp expert. He is at the Expo this weekend free of charge. No you don't have to book a place you just simply turn up he said at times there's a queue at his table so you may have to wait but bring with you whatever you think is of value. But listening to him today even though you've got very old coins it doesn't look like a lot of them are of great value even though the and even the very old ones I thought when we discovered that very old one from the, the 1200s I thought oh my god surely surely we've got a gem here and it's it's not it's it's worth a little or nothing and then Stephen and Kerry says Patricia just tuned in but this was, this was probably mentioned already but it, it was Stephen but it's worth mentioning again it's the 1985 20 pence piece that's the one you need to root in your drawers uh, for. That is worth a lot more. Stephen was saying 10,000. Actually, Stephen, Mike told us he's seen it sell lately for 15,000. It's gone up in value. And the reason for it is there was only a few thousand of them minted and they were minted specifically for pool tail, pool table owners and other people with slot machines that used 20 pence pieces so they could calibrate their slots for the following year because the coin officially came into circulation in 1986. So there's lots of 20 pence pieces from 1986. But the one from 1985 where the few, I don't even think it was a few thousand, Stephen, I think he gave the figure of about 600 of them uh, were minted. They were all supposed to be handed back. A number of them were, but a few of them slipped through the net. That's why they are so valuable. So it's a 1985 20 pence piece. You've hit the jackpot if you have that. I can tell you that now. And hi to John, who sent in a lovely text. John is one of our lovely bus drivers in West Cork. And he says, listening to your programme, Patricia, outside Baylard Church near Rossmore, Clonakilty, doing some voluntary work in the beautiful sunshine. We're marking all the road junctions for the West Cork Rally, which, of course, is coming up on St. Patrick's weekend in uh, Clonakilty. Good afternoon to you, John, and good to have you along and keep up that great voluntary work. It is terrific. Back to... CUH and parking. Sandy says when the regional hospital and, and this, people still refer to it as the regional hospital including myself I have to say but when the regional hospital was first built people may remember that site was actually massive. Now Sandy says for whatever reason 
parcels of the land and chunks of the site were sold without planning, mainly as fundraisers for the health board and well below its future value are looking ahead to development needs for access points or modernisation of the hospital, which was obvious then. So on the original site, if they had left it and kept all of the land that was included when the regional hospital was originally built, we may not be having the discussions that we are having today. Thank you for that to uh, 0862103103. Keep your pet questions coming in, please, because Jane, our resident uh, vet, will be joining us in the studio. You can call John Paul, 1850 You can text her WhatsApp, 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Cloche and Quivine, the transition year students, are presenting a fashion show which is entitled Twice Styled. It's on tonight at half past eight in the Corrin Events Centre. There'll be light refreshments and all proceeds going to the Simon community. There will be a blood donor clinic in Mallow Race Course this afternoon, three to five and 7 to 9 tonight. Mallow Art Club, they're holding their next demonstration in the Mercy Centre at half past 7 tonight. Uh, Dorothy Roberts will demonstrate a painting in acrylics with special emphasis on perspective. To coincide with Shockton Aguilga 2013, a table quiz in aid of the Gwilskull Tomosh Dovish will be held in Albert Lynch's bar tonight at half past 8. Tables of 4, 40 euro please with the first prize of 100 a euro. Kildare Community Development, they've got their weekly lottery draw, Sheen's Bar tonight, jackpot €3,300. Mallow Alanon Family Group, they've got an open information meeting, Mercy Centre in Mallow tonight, half past seven, all are welcome. And the music room, Bohabri, their next programme is on tonight, eight o'clock in the Pierce Memorial Hall. Eileen Kylie from Mill Street Gramophone Circle will be the presenter. And a talk on services for older people with Jim Daly, Minister for Mental Health and Older People, will be held in Fomoy Youth Centre tonight at six o'clock. All are very welcome to attend. A reminder, that's the number if you've got a pet question for Ita, get it in or you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. In the meantime, we are going to Fomoy Guard the station where I'm joined by uh, Sergeant John Kelly. Good afternoon to you, John. Good afternoon. Uh, And you're welcome. And we start with you're looking for help in tracing a black Volvo. Yeah, we're looking for any sightings, Patricia, of a black Volvo, an S40. Now, there's two or three males on, on board uh, with that car anywhere where it's been seen. And we're looking for any sightings of it in the South Limerick, Kerry, West Cork, North Cork area over the last uh, over the last two weeks. Now, it could have English plates on it at one stage. We believe the proper plates on it are English. Um, but... Possibly that this gang of organised travelling criminals have a couple of other plates that they slip on when they're going to uh, to work, coming from a particular job. Um, Now, I suppose just to give you the overall picture, I I mean, really, in the last week, we've had three break-ins over the whole Cork North area. But, I mean, we're dealing with frictionless borders very much, you know, with this this gang. You know, they're, they're just moving to and forth. Kerry, Limerick, wherever. Uh, they could be in Kentuck and be in Killarney in an hour later, you know. Um, we believe that they were responsible for uh, one probably in, in Bantir there, going, going back on Saturday last, where the injured party returned home. That was uh, that was there at Baha Bantir. Injured party returned home. Um, they had been gone from half ten that morning, returned home at um, five o'clock. Now, there was very little taken, but the house had been, had been turned over. But 
Again, any sightings of a black Volvo S40, two or three nails on board, um, over the last two weeks. Now, it may be that somebody listening today, um, maybe a retailer in, in a filling station where they could have called for diesel, petrol, paid for but maybe he got an inkling at the time, something dodgy about those lads, that if you um, had an idea what they were in, have a look back on your CCTV. Again, anyone with dash cam footage. And more and more people have dash cams. Um, but it may be that somebody at the time, uh, maybe it's been bugging them that they saw those guys, they thought there was something suspicious, but they haven't rang us previously. The Gardaí of Mallow, um, 0222 would be grateful for any movements on this. And in the land. meantime, keep a look out for them. Keep a look out for them. Keep a look out. Uh, they travel. Uh, they travel ground. Um, they'll probably uh, the local or the motor operandi we normally see is this car could be going on the road for a month, uh, and it could dis- disappear after that. But oh, it's a black Volvo S40 we're looking for at the moment. Okay, all right. Two or three people on board. Now we have been discussing the air scam on this program for the last number of months. I think at yes. at this stage. Uh, and you would like to think that we're, we're constantly mentioning it, we're getting the message out and the people don't get caught. But unfortunately, some people are still getting caught. Unfortunately, I'll give you uh, I'll give you one there from last week from uh, Carrie Tool. It could be anywhere in Ireland, right? Last Wednesday, a person got a phone call from a person claiming to be from the security section of AIR stating that their computer had been compromised. They would attempt to repair same. The injured party allowed access to a computer, online banking, and gave her banking credit card details. Now, um, approximately 1,500 has been lost. Um, now, I was in a house last week on, on the Thursday above in the Formoy Mitchellstown area, and uh, I was talking to a person, and just they randomly told me that they were getting those phone calls. And um, they brought them up on their phone, and I looked at the numbers, and this is something I've mentioned before on the thing, number spoofing. The numbers coming up appear to be from a 025 um uh, a local number. Yeah, a local number, a local number. In fact, I rang back the number and, of course, uh, straight away I was told that that, that number wasn't in service. Yeah. Anyone getting the phone call would think that that was from a local number. Yeah. There was a number shown up. Um, so this is something that they are doing. They're doing this number spoofing. Um, and the, definitely the amount of online crime, you, you know, economic crime, is beginning to... Uh, you, you know, it's it's beginning definitely to get into serious figures, I'd say, all around the country, you know, and we're seeing new, different new scams uh, coming up day by day, there's new scams. And this is a new one, and this is only completely new to me. I mean, if we were talking last week, you know, to me, I wouldn't have heard of it, you know. It only occurred about four days ago, above in Dublin. And in this particular case, uh, an injured, the injured party in this case, they noticed that their phone signal was lost for approximately two hours. When the signal returned to the phone, a quick approval loan of 7,000 had been applied <gasps> on the AIB online function that he uses. Now, several other attempts, it turns out, were made to transfer money using the IPs, using the injured parties, visa debit card, while his phone signal was down, but they failed. Now, it contacted his mobile phone provider, um, who, inf- who was there, who informed him that what they call a SIM swap had been done. Never heard of it. Uh, via AIR's live chat help. And this enabled the perpetrator then to actually control the injured party's account by effectively taking over his phone number and his account while at the same time uh, rendering the injured party's phone locked for this period. Compl- 
completely, completely new scam. Um, uh, to me, it seems to be one that targets people who are active with, with online banking and uh, stuff like that. They obviously had, had an app on, on the phone. For well, we're all banking. doing online banking because the banks are encouraging us to do online banking. The they, banks don't, are they don't want yes. you in, 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 their, in their branches. Correct, correct. And, and I see the banks in conjunction with ourselves have set up the fraud smart .ie website and uh, you know by going people going on to that they'll see the different scams you, you know that are being perpetrated but unfortunately um, there seems to be new ones coming up by the you know by the daytime you know yeah. um, no to, to be honest personally uh, you know doing online banking sure that's fine I'll do it from my home computer or, or I'll do it from one of the terminals inside in uh, yeah I don't in, do it in, in a, for an unsecured Wi-Fi absolutely absolutely yeah. People are using unsecured Wi-Fi. Yeah, you've got to be so careful. Let's face it, there's no such thing as a free lunch. All this thing can be hacked. Um, okay. All right, you need uh, to be careful. Just for people to bear in mind. 450s okay. as well. Final thing, 450s are around. Keep a lookout. Okay, before you go, a couple of questions in for you. Marion in East Cork lives in a housing estate and there's a vehicle parked in the estate taking up a parking space for the last six months. The vehicle has uh, no tax or insurance. They're worried that if the vehicle does get moved that it might hit somebody and uh, cause an accident. Can the Gardaí intervene or, or do you have to make a statement if you were reporting it? No, report it to, to their local. To the yeah. local Gardaí, no. yeah. And, and also that could be stolen or anything, couldn't it? If it's yeah, parked there for six months? Could it need to be checked out? Yeah, but it's also a matter as well to report to the county council as well. You know, okay. Um, and the, point of view. then Dennis yeah. in North Cork says vans and cars and jeeps parked parking on footpath in a North Cork village. He says I don't mean two wheels. I mean all, the, all four wheels up on the footpath. People are not able to walk on the footpath. He wants to know what is the law around vehicles parking on a footpath. Well, it's a, it's a case of call out the guards and they'll have a ticket to deal with when they come back. It's illegal, isn't it? It's illegal, it's illegal. Yeah. Quite simply. It's illegal. Even two wheels up? Uh, look, even two wheels up, uh, you know. Uh, I mean, there's considerable damage as well being done to footpaths around the country. If you'll, you'll see that Cork County Council, where they're replacing footpaths, are deliberately making them maybe two inches higher for that reason, so that it's now impractical or it's almost impossible for somebody to park on, park on footpaths. Yeah, you know, but um, basically, people shouldn't be parking on footpaths. Yeah, you know? and what's and I mean, what's annoying anyone, for Dennis? He says th- there there is parking in the area. It's obviously people have been lazy. They're trying to get as close to wherever they're going as possible, so they're parking on the footpath. And of course, once you get one car to do it, others then will follow suit. Oh, absolutely, yeah. but you can see the laziness with kids being dropped to school in the morning. I absolutely. mean, uh, they'll have to be driving schools. Uh, Protein shop, you know. <laughs> we'll have a, dr- a drive-through for the, for the children. <laughs> we are getting to that, unfortunately. All right, John. Yes. All right, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thank you. For have a good week, life. and uh, we'll talk uh, next uh, in the following weeks. That is Sergeant John Kelly joining us from Formoygar, the station eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. If you have a pet question, please can you get it in uh, to us for uh, for Jane, our resident. Um, vet. She's um, answering all of your questions uh, today. Uh, so get your pet questions in. John Paul is taking the calls 1850 333103 or you can text or WhatsApp at 086 
to 103 103 but I just want to find a quick WhatsApp and I found it here from a listener that uh, says oh by the way also making the point that when we were talking about CUH in the parking it isn't just CUH is bad for parking look at the Mercy Hospital look at the South Infirmary where do staff and visitors park they have no uh, parking spaces parking facilities at all but the listener also wants to raise an issue and says Patricia is it just me or does anybody else have a problem with the RTE programme Dermot Bannon's Incredible Homes it's been on for the it's finished now because isn't it Daniel and Magella are on next Sunday night it's been on Sunday nights at half past nine anyway in my opinion says this texter this programme is a holiday for Dermot Bannon what business is it to viewers seeing Dermot in his swimsuit in hot tubs on mountain tops or in baths with glass roofs I love Dermot Bannon and I think RT programmes are excellent but this one really it's just a Dermot dream, gaining access to those wacky structures. Hope all you architects out there are thankful to RTE for the ideas because this is done, this is so far removed from the normal viewer. I've, I've watched, okay, hands up, I've watched it. I, I did think some of the houses were totally wacky and off the Richter scale. Some of them were gorgeous. And it was a little bit like how the other half live in a wacky kind of way. Some of them were beyond bizarre. I liked the Australian ones for some reason. They kind of floated my boat. I kind of liked some of the houses uh, there. But I mean, for Dermot Bannon, it was like sending a child to Disneyland. I mean, he was he was he was thrilled. I like his style of programs. I did enjoy it. I did. I did enjoy it. But um, maybe that was just me. Anyway, you are right to your opinion. It gets replaced with Daniel and Magella that I think will go down an absolute bomb. They're on a road trip, aren't they? They're in an RV running around America. I can't wait for it. I think it's going to be a great programme. But anyway, we'll put it out there to see. Are there others like this texter who thought, great big waste of money and it was just fulfilling Dermot Bannon's fantasy and it was only for architects or architectural students who want to see some of the great and weird and wacky structures from around the world where other people for or against that. It was Dermot Bannon's incredible homes. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, joining us in studio. The sun has just come out, so it's kind of nice out there, even though it was raining earlier. Mm. How are you doing? Um, Are you, uh, are you, uh, do you dread the wet weather having to go out on it? You know, I think, not really. I think it's part of the job. It's what we sign up for. But in the end of the day, I think it's it's kind of like the the scouts, be prepared, as it were. We always just go out wearing appropriate clothing, keeping ourselves nice and warm. But occasionally you do get really, really drenched and it's coming into kind of a warm cup of tea. It's like ourselves, if you get a bit warm, all you want is a warm cup of tea and to dry off. But no, I think as long as you're prepared, we don't mind at all. But if we have a lovely day like this, it's great. Yeah, and you have the wonderful summer weather as well to look forward to. Exactly. You know, in the summertime, being, let's say, a mixed, doing small and large animal vet you feel so lucky because there's no better office than the great outdoors on a sunny day in the summer mm. it is incredible then, it's yeah, such a privilege every, everyone is envious of you Ben yeah. in Middleton has been on to his questions into John Paul please 1850 or I can see some coming by text as well to 0862 103 103 Ben in Middleton has a sheepdog uh, 8 years old male describes him as being very, a very fluffy sheepdog he wants to cut back some of the hair or fluff as he says but the dog won't let him anywhere near it any idea or should he bring him to a vet or to a groomer. 
you know, I'd say your best bet. If it sounds like this do- little dog mightn't have, let's say, any regular grooming going on. So he mightn't have any kind of regular brushing or clipping of the hair by the sounds of what our caller has, has said. And that's grand. I think the good thing is that we're taking action. If you have noticed that there's a lot of fur, maybe there's a few mats here and there. Or maybe it's just that you want to cut down on the shedding around the house, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, then grooming will really help. Cutting back some of the fur coming into the summer is not a bad idea at all. But certainly just making sure that the coat is well groomed out and there's no matte build up because they can pull and tug at the skin and cause problems of their own is and a very really good idea. And very uncomfortable when you're trying to take them out. Fierce uncomfortable. Yeah. So, and particularly if it's a dog that's out in rain and sunshine, it's kind of like putting a sweater into the wash. If you put um, if you put mats into the wash or if they get wet outside, they'll kind of contract down when they dry and it kind of t- tightens and pulls against the skin and could become incredibly painful even when walking wow. around during normal motion. But to remove them, then they you understand when they sometimes squeal and aren't particularly happy. It's kind of like brushing a toddler's hair in a way yeah, that they're not pulling. happy yeah. and they're just trying to yeah. tell you that they're not particularly comfortable and that, that might be part of the case in this caller's situation it might be that there might be a few mats and maybe there's a little bit of discomfort with clipping and them and that away. could be why he doesn't want Ben going anywhere near him exactly um it could indeed and it might just be if he's had one kind of slightly uncomfortable experience previously or something like that with uh, the owner very carefully trying to clip away a mat or anything like that he might just remember they really are like elephants they're they're incredibly intelligent creatures and they really do remember these things I think my suggestion would be if you are concerned that he won't let you near him I think what you want is for that little dog to have a really positive experience grooming going forward so that it becomes easier every time not more difficult every time the best way to do that is to bring him to a professional groomer for the Mm. first time certainly and they'll be able to give you a lot of hints and tips and tricks as to how to maintain that coat whether it be regular brushing and even some kind of regular brushing can help to kind of desensitize them to not be so worried when you go near them to groom the coat and if there was a little mat here and there that you might need to snip out they might be a lot more comfortable with that later on but I think visit a professional groomer and they'll show you how to maintain it in between times I think it's like myself I wouldn't try and chop my own hair (laughs) it would be a disaster I'd leave it to the professionals and I really think that that might be the best thing to do in this case Okay Sarah's very active two year old Labrador this morning at a dead bird never done it before should I be worried Mm. Do dogs eat dead birds? They do yeah they can eat all kinds of things and particularly this is a Labrador in this case is that right? Two year old very bouncy she says Bouncy little Labradors are the cutest little things in the world but they are infamous for eating things that they're not meant to Oh are they? They really are Um I, I would say if it's a small bird, I, I would watch your little dog carefully. As long as he seems bright and bouncy and happy and there's no vomiting or illness, then things may pass through the other side and all may be well. Um, if you do notice that he's down in himself or there is any vomiting, I'd probably suggest you pop to your vets for some advice um, and maybe an examination just to make sure that there's no problem. If it was a little small bird, poor little small bird... A lot of the time they are quite small and their bones are quite small so they don't tend to cause any problems, let's say, passing through. Oh, of course, through, it's the it bones. Were. Yeah, that yeah. would be the main thing that would cause the problem. If it was a bigger bird or a rat or something like that and Labradors have been known to eat rats, that can sometimes cause a little problem. They are really infamous for picking up lots of strange things. Um, and if they ate a rat mm-hmm. that had died from poison? That would be a problem. Would it? Yes, yeah. exactly. Absolutely. And that's one of the, the po- reasons. Would the poison pass on? Exactly. Yeah. It can Whoa. do. So that's a really scary thing. Now, 
birds don't usually pick up poison most of the time but I, I, that's why I say watch him carefully yeah. just in case but if he's okay concern. after a few days you don't need to be exactly but, but even, any kind even of vomiting any, any kind of vomiting discomfort in. or not wanting to eat his dinner or act normally or go out for his walks I'd be a bit concerned and I would visit your vet for some advice if you have any worries whatsoever um, particularly in the in the immediate kind of 24-48 hour period Um I think gen- just generally uh, advice on dogs and cats eating things they're not meant to is if you know they've eaten something they're not meant to, give your vet a call and just double check yeah. um, and they'll be able to just let you know no, what to watch yeah, out watch for, and, watch and, for. And, and give you a hand. Okay, uh, can no name on this. Uh, a cat, a one-year-old cat has been on wet food. I was mm-hmm. talking to somebody recently who says that my cat should be on dried food. What would your vet recommend? What's the best for cats, dried food or wet food? It's really a personal choice. I think anecdotally, the dogs and cats that have an element of kind of biscuit or the hard kibble to their diet, it's it's good for their teeth in the uh, sense yeah, that they absolutely. tend to have less tartar buildup. Yeah, now because they're I, crunching against exactly, it. Exactly, they're yeah. crunching. Now, uh, being on a hard diet is never going to get rid of tartar that's on the teeth, but it can help prevent further buildup. So having a, a chewy aspect to most diets, I always think is a really good idea. But I know myself that my, my own dogs at home, they really like having a little bit of wet food. So what I normally do is for them and for my cat actually as well, I give them about 80% dry food and mix through a little bit of wet food. So they still get the tastiness and the gravy of the wet food but the the kind of hard kibble is there doing its job keeping the teeth nice and clean so I think a mix is great mix. but if you're let's say if you had an elderly cat or if you knew they had dental issues already and any pain in the mouth then I think comfort is key if they're more comfortable having wet food or if that's what they prefer if they're uh, a, let's say a geriatric pet and, and you will find ways, that as the cats yeah, get older exactly yeah, they yeah. might prefer but this the is wet a young food. cat so that's a young yeah. cat so I think a mix will be a best mix. okay how often should I give my four year old Shih Tzu a book a booster injection uh, booster injection so it will be yearly yearly, exactly. okay, yearly year. ongoing I think the really important thing to mention is keeping up with the yearly boosters is important and keeping almost to the year if you can is the best normally if it goes a month or two over the year we as vets get a little bit worried so when you give a vaccination you're training the immune system to recognise things that can be deadly okay. um, we're giving them essentially a, a safe version of the things they need to learn to recognise the viruses um, that can cause problems so over time it's like ourselves we learn a fact and if we've gone too long before needing to remember it again we've forgotten it it's all the details are a little bit fuzzy so it's like that immunity can wane a little bit so if you go a little bit over the year with the booster so you've left it a little bit long or forgotten or it's just lapsed a little bit we always worry that the body will have forgotten a little bit too much now that's exactly why we give boosters every year is to maintain that memory in the body of the immune system that those viruses are a problem and that's how they deal with them but um, if let's say we had left a little bit too long if it was a little bit over the year sometimes we might suggest restarting the vaccinations and that's normally just retraining if it has lapsed a little bit Um, and that's just a case of giving two vaccinations uh, a number of weeks apart depending on the brand so it's no big problem Do vets send out reminders? Uh, Some of us do Some some of us do Okay, (laughs) Some of us do Well done Um, It's it's a really Depends on the practice It does depend on the practice and I think the really important thing is if you aren't getting reminders and that's something you would like to go and pop and suggest to your vet make sure that your contact details are up to date with 
them because sometimes I, I know personally sometimes I struggle you might be sending them out and you, you might send a text for a reminder and you hear nothing back and you wonder is that phone number still yeah, the one the number have? yeah or somebody can move Jerry and Carrick exactly. Tuhill has moved with his cat yeah. uh, they moved into a new home um, she seems a bit confused mm. she does go outside but they're not leaving a wander too far at the moment mm. he's looking for ideas to relax her he said sometimes she's in the house looking up at them meowing as if to say where are we where's my house <laughs> we're out of routine she's a 10 year old female and neutered Okay, well, I think it sounds like our caller Jerry is doing a really good job. Um, He's trying to keep his little cat inside as most he can and just gently explore the outside world with some supervision is the best thing initially. Um, I think it can be really worrying to begin with because cats particularly um, are very perceptive creatures. Dogs tend to adapt really well, to be honest, but cats can take a little bit more time and be a little bit more unsure. I think the main thing is give them that time. Don't be too worried. If you're stressed about them not settling in, they'll pick up on that stress but they don't know what that stress is about and they'll just be a little bit on ease so try and relax try and let everything settle down if you're moving in it can be a very difficult time because normally there's moving boxes all yeah. over the place lots of different things yeah, going you're on you're under pressure but what I would say is particularly when there's lots of activity in the house for the moving in make sure that they have somewhere to go that's quiet to hide a lot of the time once they get their own smells in their own place they'll relax a lot so I would just say try not to disturb her too much just let her go hide relax and eventually she'll gain some confidence Okay just stick stick yeah. with it but you're doing stick well so hang in there okay thank you for that uh, Jane have a lovely week and uh, hopefully you won't be too busy as <laughs> uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group a couple of comments in on the Dermot Bannon programme on the listener who thought it just looked like a jolly for Dermot taken off across the world uh, Esther says, I agree with the text about Dermot Bannon. At times it looked like he was doing a photo shoot for a glossy magazine. As for the houses, most of them were like museums, says Esther. And Margaret said, I also agree with that call about Dermot Bannon's programme. I thought it was over the top. Stick to the home programmes. That's the Irish home programmes, uh, Dermot. I enjoyed them. That certainly looked like it was just a holiday for a Dermot. That's from Margaret. Uh, thank you for that. OK, that's where we wrap it up for today. Um, my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Thank you to everybody who contacted the programme today. Our apologies that we didn't get around to everybody who had coins and stamps that they wanted valued but a reminder to you that Mike Kelly the gentleman that joined us is going to be at the Cork 50 Plus Expo. It's on in the City Hall this weekend and it opens at 10 o'clock on Saturday 11 o'clock on Sunday. There is no charge. You don't have to make an appointment to see Mike. Uh, simply queue up at his table and you'll be able to get your own valuations uh, done. That's where I leave you until tomorrow reminding you that tomorrow is International Women's Day and we'll be doing coffee, cakes and chats. We'll have an MEP, a TD and a councillor. That's all tomorrow from... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odour control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colours to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. 
For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.